0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G 2 Chris Dyer. Hey,
1: Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and uh, I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk radio show. Well, I have two great guests uh, lined up today, and we are excited to be talking to them. And uh, the year is almost over here. We only have a few more shows left, and we've got some uh, fantastic guests coming along as well throughout the rest of the year, and 2016 is shaping up to be a banner year for guests. So hope you'll come back and continue to, to uh, tune in and hear all the great things that our guests have to say. Uh, just in case this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, maybe one of our guests have drawn you to us, I want to give you a little idea about how the show works. Um, we typically have a wide range of guests who care about talent management, uh, leadership development, company culture and in the business world talent really has a couple different meanings and we look at both those meanings first is you know how it relates to success how really talented people achieve success so you know what is, what do the richard bransons of the world do what do they eat for breakfast and how do they manage their day that those those types of the ideas that you know what are these successful people doing that we can learn from and the second is how it relates to human resources and how hr leaders find the best candidates for their companies so how you know, how can we take those lessons and, and really put them into practice in our own companies? So as we look to really explore these two different areas, we uh, also want to really look into how these talented individuals impact a company's culture. Uh, the guests that we have on the show are usually CEOs or HR execs, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, just you know anyone who's a fantastic business leader from just about any industry. We'd love to have them on the show and what usually happens is I have the privilege of running into them at a conference or a networking event. Uh, that's true for one of our, our first guests here today. And uh, as I meet them, I decided to create this forum to allow you to listen in our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop your own leaders, manage your culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. Uh, thank you to all those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday you have a question, we'd love to uh, go ahead and answer it on your be- or excuse me, not answer it, but yeah, ask it on your behalf and the guest can answer it. But you need to send those questions to at PeopleG2 on Twitter. Uh, if you can add that hashtag talent talk, that's great. And my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can also tune in via the uh, podcast podcast. Uh, which is how most people interact with the show. So if you go on your Apple devices or iTunes, you can find our show in the podcast app. There's over 245,000 of you this week that uh, downloaded the show last week. Really appreciate your support. We also have that new medium of iHeartRadio we're now syndicated with, and so we have a whole new group of you that are coming in, and uh, a few thousand of you last month came in and uh, you know, listen to shows that way. So any device or any web browser, you can go to iHeartRadio and type in talent talk and find the past shows. Um, So we really appreciate all the different ways that you guys are coming in. But let's go ahead and get today's show started. My first guest will be uh, David uh, Darbstander. He's the CEO and co-founder of Datapath. And uh, him and I ran into each other up in Modesto at an HR show. And my second guest will be Ashley Wen, the founder and principal uh, HR consultant. I'm not sure if it's B-E-D-R or if it's better just spelled out that way. But uh, we'll ask her when she's on in the second half of the show. But uh, let's go ahead and get to David. Uh, welcome.
2: Hey, how are you doing?
1: Doing fantastic. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's the important things to know, and uh, what you're doing over there at Datapath.
2: Sure. Well, I'm the co-founder here at Datapath, uh, co-founded uh, it, a good buddy of mine uh, 10 years ago uh, this year. Uh, we, Him and I, uh, James, we'd been uh, friends since the third grade. Grew up here in town. I, I moved away for a while and came back. Um and, uh, yeah, we, we are an IT company. We manage uh, technology for uh, government, public school districts, and, and uh, enterprise. It's really been a fun ride. We've had a great time. We've had some great growth. And beyond that, in the middle of that, I ended up, you know, getting married and having three little boys. So that keeps me a bit busy as well. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of what we've done here at Datapath, we believe we've fostered a pretty good culture, and um, we're learning all the time, which I think has helped us just to stay open, so uh, we're kind of excited to see what the future holds for us.
1: What are some of the specific things, from a service standpoint, that, that your company's providing?
2: So, you know, we essentially become the outsource solution, um, kind of become your IT department, really, essentially, for your organization. Um, and we also just enhance IT departments. So if it's a large IT department, we kind of take over a portion of what they're doing, managing servers, networks, enterprise wireless, uh, cloud. Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, you know, day in, day out, that's the core of our service. And we also manage projects. we you know, big implementations. We audit people's technology to tell them what they have and give them suggestions for what they should do, give them a roadmap. And so that's a range of services from, you know, in- implementing new cloud infrastructure for somebody, um you know network security those kinds of services
1: well and you must be doing a pretty good job because just kind of based on our research it seems like you guys have had an excellent growth rate having grown roughly at 50 percent per year since your inception so kind of after year one which you know every any any sales is 100 percent growth but after that to keep up that kind of rate is pretty great you you know what, what do you attribute this to
2: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about it is, you know, we're not selling anything different than, say, our competitors. I mean, they have the same products. Um, A lot of them have the same services. Uh, You know, really what we've kind of focused on is uh, building a great culture, making first and foremost our employees fans of what we're doing, and then also – You know, those outside, you know, in our community also being fans of Datapath, um, which has not been easy to do because it's not a very sexy business, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, we're not not some new creative restaurant down the street. It's really hard to get people to kind of pay attention because we're in IT, just kind of similar to HR. You know, the less you hear about it, the happier people generally are. But, you know, we've really tried to gear ourselves being a forward-thinking company, and that's everything from the way we treat people internally to the way we treat our customers. And so I'd say first and foremost that's probably what's you know separated us um, And you know our, our activity in the community giving back has been a big focus. it's one of our core values is committing to give and I would know, say even just from a talent recruitment perspective that's been a big difference to people, especially generations behind me um, that's important to them. what we're doing in the community, how we're giving back, how we're impacting those around us rather than just being worried about not only making money as a company but also how are we able to you know, somehow take what we're given and give back to the community and make it a better place to live.
1: So you have a, a service and our products that obviously are, are valued in the, in the, out there in the, in the general public or in the business world. To your point, it may be somewhat commoditized. It's not like, you know, a, a Wi-Fi security that no one else can offer. You're offering, you know, some similar services to, to your competitors, but... Part of that is that so you have that as what you're selling, but you talked about, and we'll maybe go a little deeper into this in a minute, but you kind of introduced uh, what you think is a good culture. Kind of that third component is probably those people that are working for you, bringing in the right people who can deliver those things that you're talking about, that that kind of experience, that that kind of belief in what you're doing. So how big of a part is the talent that you're bringing into that overall equation for you guys?
2: Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's absolutely huge. Uh, You know, we are extremely picky on who we bring in. uh, And even from that forward, uh, we're really heavy on orientation and onboarding, making sure they really understand who we are as a company um, and they really um, drink in our values. Because, you know, just like anywhere, it may be a commodity-type business, but you can be working with someone and they're really passionate about something and they love it. You can be working with another person and it's just not there. And that's passion. A couple of things, right? I mean, that's passionate about their team. It's also about what they're doing. What you know, they're enjoying it. So, you know, as leaders, that's part of our job is to make sure we've got people in the right place on the team, um, and they're, you know, they understand their path within the company and where they're going. And that's a two-way street. You know, we have to make sure, you know, where they want to go, we're helping them get there, and vice versa. They got to tell us where they would like to be um, long-term in their career. But as far as picking that, you know, we're we would rather. Have somebody with a little lower, you know, a little lower skill set, but the right values that we can we can build upon, because we're willing to invest. We're willing to put the money and the time, and you know, both in you know leadership and mentorship, and also just technical training um, to get people where they need, to, you know, where the company needs them to be. So,
1: so, so is that is that part the part secret of- then? Is that you know to hire someone who's got the values that match up with what your company wants and has the maybe the potential. To do the job as opposed to bringing in someone who's already has all the experience and everything that you need, but maybe doesn't necessarily match up with the company from a value standpoint?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, internally here as our company, that's that's number one, you know, because we've gone the other direction where we've hired extremely talented people, you know, maybe the highest levels of competency on a technical standpoint, from a technical standpoint, and they just weren't a. Um, a collaborative member of the team. Maybe they capped other people internally and they belittled people. They had all these attributes that didn't align with, you know, the, the way the whole company functioned, and that was difficult. That was difficult for those that were kind of trying to come up the ranks. They felt like they could never actually, you know, they kept, it's almost like they're getting pushed down the ladder continually um, just because they're, you know, that person didn't necessarily match up with our, our core values. it's really difficult as leaders to have all these core values because we spent, you know, we spent a number of days as a team, solid days, working on just our core values, the way we would word them, what they would mean, making sure everybody, you know, internally believed in them. And so when we let people stay on staff and we don't correct it in some way or another um, when they don't align with those core values, then what is that saying to everybody on the team? And so we would rather have people come in that really align with those core values and our mission as a company than to hire just based on technical skill set.
1: Yeah, and that can be a difficult thing. So to actually have spent that amount of time really developing that and coming up with what those are is something that not every company does. So it's great that you guys have done that. Uh, But then beyond that is how do you find people that really, truly align with with, with everything on there? Um, Because people will say they do um, because they want a job. Um, but whether or not they actually do do those things and whether or not they live and breathe those things and find those things that your company has laid out to be really important it is something you have to test for, you have to kind of pry for, or you have to experiment with and bring them in to see if they work out or not. So uh, are there some, you know, d- different parts of that that, that your company is doing? I mean, you're testing and prying and, or, or do you guys just bring them in to see how they fit in and, and experiment with it?
2: yeah absolutely I mean we um we use you know some of the standard tests in the industry but for our own to match up with the core values we've simply just written a a uh, written questionnaire it tells us a lot about the way they think the way they handle situations whether they have a sense of humor or not um, there's a lot of different things that are kind of in there and they're great they're great conversation pieces for the interview it tells us gives us some real detail into the way they're thinking um, and not that it's foolproof but it's helped us a lot to Develop a questionnaire um, that kind of matches up with who we are internally. Uh, it's made a big difference, um, and I think it's weed out a lot of problems going forward. Uh, and you know, we're um, we definitely don't have it foolproof, but we we believe over time through enough mistakes that we've kind of gathered um, kind of a format. We're in the IT world; um, it's a very stressful industry. I mean, we're generally dealing with tough situations um, or disasters or, you know, breaches, when you name it. Um, so, it's, you know, it can be very stressful. Um, so you have to have a good sense of humor, right? I mean, you, you can't have a team member just sitting there all bottled up and stressed out the whole time. You've you got to be able to laugh at yourself. you got to be able to laugh, you know, in situations, make the best of them. Because at the end of the day, we all have to go home to our families. We all have to continue living life regardless of how bad things are at work. You know, when things are really heavy and they're not, it's not a light-hearted environment, I think it's, you know, there's definitely times to be serious, but there's definitely times to loosen up a little bit um, and enjoy yourself. And we're a pretty wacky environment over here, you know. I mean, we're, you know, our favorite day of the year is Halloween. I mean, everybody gets dressed up. We have other types of, you know, spirit days, if you will. Um, we play a lot of pranks on each other. Uh, so it's, you know, you've got to have a good, a good sense of humor. And as we've gotten bigger, you can't play as many pranks as you used to, but but you still have to, you know, have a good time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of having your own little identity. I mean, we, I think internally at my company we're, we're fairly sarcastic. Re- there was an article yesterday on Inc. that said that that's actually a good thing. So I was, you know, of course, distributing that uh, internally, <laughs> going, look, we're not that screwed up. Um <laughs> you know cuz everyone else will tell all oh, sarcasm is bad and you know you shouldn't be that way and i'm you know it's like well then of course our reaction is, well that's just because we're not very good at it um you know but it, 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 there's something about a company that they can find these little things like you're talking about having a good sense of humor whether it's being sarcastic or it, it's just it's just a, it's a it's a wrinkle in a larger kind of scheme of things that can kind of bind and bring people together um in a way that, you know, you really can't plant, you can't really, you know, orchestrate. It's just something probably happened organically as you as you came together with your your childhood friend to, to build your company, and then realized, well, this is an important feature, and you start hiring people for that.
2: I wouldn't say, you know, I really hate the word, the, the term fit. I hear that a lot, like a com- you know someone's not a fit somewhere. I mean, really, it's really hard to take a good person that's maybe talented and has another features and just say they're not a fit. You know, I mean. My job from a cultural standpoint is to make sure that everybody feels like they belong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the ways we've done that, um, I mean, part of it is you do want to model off the great people you have. That's absolutely accurate. But then also it is a good, nice mix to have people that are different and they refine each other and maybe they don't always, you know, agree on stuff and they argue a little bit to get to the right answer. Um and even internally, you know, some of the things, you know, I've done here, I mean, I've, you know, I know it sounds, it's probably not appropriate, but you have know, got nicknames for people, you know, good ones, positive ones. Just make, the things that you would do to a family member to make them feel like they belong. You know, we forget that, uh, you know, the office can get clicky, the office can, you know, certain groups get get along better than others. The job is, you know, um, developing a good culture. Uh, you know, even recently, you um, you know, I don't even have a desk or an office anymore. I've given up my office, given up my desk, and it's made a big difference, I think, internally because it's it's forced me to work in different places throughout the office, and I've realized that i put myself in some way back office physically, and people don't have as much access to me, or they don't think they do, or they don't get to hear my conversations, the way I'm talking to people on the outside, on the inside. And that's part of leadership, you know, is modeling. And being available and maybe hearing things that you're hearing somebody else say that you go, oh, that doesn't actually, that's not really the way we do things or those kinds of things of just really living out. You know, if we say we have a great culture and these are the things that who we are, it's really living those things out um, and being a model here internally.
1: Well, and, and some of what you're describing is could also be coined coaching, right? You're kind of providing that feedback, those lessons that, Um, for people and it sounds like what you've done is made yourself available or at least to have these little micro um, coaching sessions where you can be accessible to someone they're going to overhear how you handle a problem um, so you can model those types of things um, as opposed to having a scheduled 30-minute session with someone to talk about things Um, you're kind of just out there you know, having those little micro um, interactions. Is that, do you find that to be the, kind of the most effective way to deal with, with those types of uh, interactions for your team?
2: Absolutely, because, you know, I mean, let's face it, too, everyone's ability to stay focused is pretty slim these days. So the problem they may be facing in the moment um, that you could help them with, they may forget about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, because, you know, the next problem has come up. So it's really a great opportunity to hear things and address them immediately. Or just to, to make people feel like you know they're not on the clock, like they can come and sit with you, and you're, you know you're not making them feel like you, you know, you've only got five minutes for them and they got to go. I I think those same attributes are important through all re, you know all relationships in life, but a lot of times we just don't bring them into the office for whatever reason. We put a lot more energy outside the office than we do internally, and and it's important just to be available.
1: Well, I know one of the things that you do that's interesting um, is that you are an angel investor, so maybe you can share a little bit about how you got into that and uh, you know, what you're currently doing uh, in, in in that regard.
2: Yeah, this came about uh, roughly three years ago. I um, was asked to come participate with a group locally because there wasn't anybody else at the time involved in technology, and a lot of the requests we were getting were around technology. So. Yeah, I've worked probably with over 30 startups in some capacity or another. Um, You know, very few are investable, but uh, really interesting, very interesting concepts. Um, Everything from, you know, many energy companies to people growing products inside sea containers and, you know, all kinds of software companies. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of it for me is just really more community building than it is, you know, trying to make any voluntary value for myself off it. I mean, a lot of it's just trying to see more startups in a depressed area of the nation get up and going and create some better jobs. You know, it's the other part to it that I think is, I think all leaders should, I mean, it keeps your blood going. You know, I mean, the more time you spend with early stage companies trying to think through their, who their customer is and what they're going to offer and, you know, it makes you take those same things you're learning there and transfer them back into your company and ask some tough questions and kind of give you more of an outside perspective on what you're doing. Right. So that for you know for me personally it's probably been the best the best part of it is just continually rethinking what we're doing and and ensuring that makes sense. And, you know because I feel like that's a big part of you know in the world of technology it's it's it shifts quickly in what we do in managing technology and you know part of my job is that we're always thinking forward and thinking about what's next for the customers um, and you know what's best for the customers. So uh, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun you know I've
1: seen a lot of failures <laughs> and I haven't seen as many successes that's for sure. Um, are, are there certain things that you tend to see that you know correlate with them being successful and which is different than whether or not you would choose to invest. but you know have there been particular factors that really go you, you can kind of see if, if they do this, this and this, they tend to be successful at what they're doing?
2: Oh absolutely. I mean, I'd say the number one? is those that really understand the customer are always the most successful. The ones engaged with the customer, the ones making an effort to stay engaged with the customer, the ones will, willing to make those changes. And I see that's the opposite of what you see in a mature company is lots of decisions are being made without ever talking to the customer. Because people think they know the customer. And so there's a lot of money wasted. You know, when you can just you know we've even recently we've had some great ideas here and went you know what, that could, you know, it's not a huge investment, but let's just go ahead and survey the customers. And sure enough, get feedback, and the customers don't really want it, um, or they would never use it, or it's just not even appealing to them. And so um, that's probably the, you know, the number one thing I've, I've seen uh, that would be transferable to other organizations is just um, really understand that customer and what they're looking for
1: well uh we're i know we're almost out of time here i want to make sure we ask you one of our favorite questions uh and that is what are what, what book are you reading right now
2: yeah i'm re rereading uh mastering the rockefeller habits and then my one of my coaches wrote the surprising power of the coil so that's another one i'm in the middle of and and then uh i'm going on a trip pretty soon so i always refer back to my nerdy habit of reading about economics <laughs> so <laughs> i've uh I, it really helps me to think at a larger level and, and really get some history sometimes on you know how things came about or maybe how industries came about and those kinds of things. So that's one of my, my nerdy habits on vacation is to read an economics book.
1: Well, if uh, there's uh, people out there, companies out there interested in learning more about Datapath, which... You know, has been recognized on the Inc. 500 and 5,000s 5, list and uh, you know, technology company of the year. You guys are really doing some great things. So, if they're interested in learning more, if they want you to come and and help them out. What's the best way for them to do that?
2: You know, uh, really, just they can reach out to me directly. I mean, then go to our website, uh, mydatapath.com, um, or they can just email me, David at mydatapath.com. And I try to be pretty responsive, and um, I really enjoy meeting new people.
1: So. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we, we didn't get to everything here, so hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you guys are doing, and we can go deeper into your thoughts on culture and talent management and everything else you're doing.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Up next, we'll have uh, Ashley Wynn, uh, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Mm-hmm.
0: has perfected a six-sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Thank you uh, for sticking around. And don't forget, you can check us out on just, well, there's just a million places you can go, but a few of them are talenttalkradio.com. You can go to iHeartRadio app on any device or platform or web browser. Find us there or on your Apple devices. Go into the podcast app and type in Talent Talk. You can hear this show, all the past shows, and you can also go to the website, peopleg2.com, and go to the blog, and we have recaps of all the best things that our guests say, all the books they mentioned, um, just kind of if you prefer to read stuff, then all the recaps are there, and uh, we do that because we know everyone kind of learns in a different way, uh, so if podcasts are not your thing, you can you can check out that. So let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Ashley Wynn, a founder and principal uh, HR consultant for, and she's going to tell us whether it's better or if it's BEDR, but uh, we'll find out. So Ashley, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Chris. Um, Yeah, so I'm the founder and principal human resources consultant for Better, Inc., and it's actually an acronym, B-E-D-R, which stands for Build, Engage, Develop, and Retain. And when you think about human resources, those are some key areas where um, our business and I think a lot of businesses nowadays really focus on. So um, a little bit about my experience and background. I have uh, over 16 years of human resources leadership experience, so um, you know – Human resources is really the area that I've always been really passionate about.
1: Well, so it sounds like we were right on both cases. It's, it's both, <laughs> right? Because it was an acronym, and, and it's a clever acronym, kind of giving you that better uh, uh, pronunciation there. So, um, you know, it, it, you're, you're involved in this with, with, with HR. So exactly what does your company really do for um, other companies out there? What are you guys delivering on a regular basis?
3: Um, a combination of different areas, really. Um, looking at employer relations, um, some really key aspects um, on employee relations where you're looking at some complex workplace investigations. I think there's really never a cookie-cutter solution when you're looking at a difficult uh, employee termination, uh, policy violations, such as employee theft or sexual harassment or um, just a wide range of employee-related issues.
1: All the fun stuff, right?
3: Yeah. Yes, um, on the, in the human resources world, um, you know, it, it's never boring <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, you, you definitely don't get into HR to, to, to be bored or to, you know, not talk to people because there's always seems to be a fire or something going on. So there's all these different areas that your company's focused on, you know, when human resources with employee relations and talent acquisition and uh, even organizational development. So which of these areas is the one that you kind of find yourself being the most passionate about?
3: I think I uh, I really think about talent acquisition and talent management nowadays. And the two really, to me, they're kind of intertwined um, because when you look at organizations nowadays, it's never internal anymore. Your internal employee issues are no longer just internal anymore, and you're constantly – Recruiting internally and externally. So I I think that's something that's really interesting and has changed over the last several years.
1: Yeah, there has been some crazy changes, really, just in not only perception and how people want to be dealt with, but, of course, technology has really played a huge part Mm -hmm. uh, in that. And, uh, you know, directly technologies, but also indirectly with how people use technology that's really uh, changed with the millennials and how they want to be, uh, interacted with. So it's been fascinating. It's something we talk about here every week uh, that we really enjoy doing. You know, it seems like there's a lot of companies that could utilize a company like yours to really help them with, you know, things like organizational development. While there are companies that handle this well, there are also ones that, you know, you look at at the organizational map and they would kind of be all over the place and not have any focus. So where do you feel you, are some of the key areas or organizational development issues that are companies are really facing today that you know, you're kind of looking at to tackle?
3: Yeah, when a business is looking at maybe reorganizing or creating their organizational map, I think they first need to really start with their vision and their business strategy. It really all starts from there. And for me, it's really important to work directly with our business leaders to really understand this. And then we ensure that we're creating and building the structure and teams to support and drive this. And One of the issues I see a lot nowadays, um, not so much in small organizations, but as they get bigger, organizations start becoming siloed where they're focused on their own department goals instead of really helping to drive that larger strategy. And so they're all going in different directions. And at the executive level, the business leader of the organization or the company, they really need to help communicate that vision and strategy. And each member of that executive team, they need to help translate it, like what. What does it mean to their own department and how it fits into that larger organization? Every employee needs to know how his or her job responsibilities impact or help move that overall business strategy. I think a lot of employees, we all want to know how we are part of the organization and how our work impacts the organization.
1: Yeah, and it's a fantastic point because as a small company gets bigger, You know, when they're smaller, it's so much easier to communicate, uh, you know, about the larger goals, larger strategy for departments to have those opportunities to talk about what they're each handling and to have that vision. And as you work to get bigger, part of that is you really have to focus in on your department goals and and get that right because it has such a huge impact to the overall company. But suddenly that starts working, they start getting bigger, they bring in 100 extra people, and next thing you know, no one knows really what direction you're, ha- you're headed and, and who's doing what, and and those silos happen, and that can just crush a company mm-hmm. um, because one silo can bring all the rest of them down, um, and it, I've seen so many examples of that, so you bring up a, a fantastic point. Are there differences then in how they need to communicate that the leaders need to address that once it, they get to that point that maybe they have to worry about those silos,
3: I I mean, some of the solutions I've uh, created to help really increase communication is Overall awareness of e- other departments' projects, um, such as through regular town hall meetings or communication meetings, creating cross-functional teams on specific projects. You know, just even opening up meetings for employees who maybe are not specifically involved in the meeting to you know be able to attend. Um, another more formal program to, could be like job shadowing or job rotations. But the key point is really that all the different departments really get a, to know what everybody else is working on as well as understanding what that larger uh, organizational structure and strategy is moving what direction we're all moving towards yeah
1: I love the job shadowing idea and I've seen this happen in some pretty big companies Uh, I have a good friend who who recently did this and he uncovered five or six solutions for a completely different department because he's fairly technical can can understand those things but he's he's a very good people person and you know immediately picked up all of these different things that they could be doing differently and surprised he's gotten a promotion now um <laughs> but when you give people the opportunity to understand other people's problems it gives you empathy you may be able to you know, insert a new way of thinking, uh, a new set of skills uh, to look at a, at a problem that maybe everyone else has decided is just a problem, there isn't a solution, um, but it can be difficult for companies, right? Because they're, you know, they, everyone has a job, They're you're growing, they're, it's hard to pull somebody out of their job to go shadow somebody else's job, you know, to really have that discipline that you could have this huge long-term benefit. Do, do you see that as well, that the companies are sometimes very unexcited about, doing something like that that can kind of take a, kind of disrupt the day-to-day you know cycle of what they're doing even though it might be a long-term benefit to it
3: Yeah definitely I think that so much so everybody's working so many hours and they're focused on trying to deliver a project or you know um, complete a task at hand so so they're looking at the short term instead of the long term, and it's very similar when you're looking at employee development or career development across an organization where you have maybe a high-potential employee that um, you can prepare and get them ready for a new position. But yeah, at the same time, they're great at their current job, and their current manager doesn't necessarily want them to leave. And I think that comes comes to also the culture of the organization. In some of my businesses that I've supported, we've gotten to the point where – The other supervisors and managers would almost be like, shame on you for not allowing, uh, you know, your employees to develop, you know. So it's building that culture and, you know, making time to, to you know, let that happen because there's never going to be downtime. There's never going to be free time. You just have to make the time.
1: Right. Sometimes you just have to make that, you know, smaller sacrifice for a larger gain or whether that's just understanding or it's communication or it's ideas. I've never heard of someone doing one of those kinds of programs and it not being a benefit. Um, but I guess it just takes that discipline. Employee relations and employee engagement has really been kind of the you know, hot button terms uh, this year. It's certainly come up on this show, just about every show we've had this year. And so engagement can really help fuel employees and have them really feel like they're a part of something exciting and moving them, them forward in their thinking, uh, really to perform at a higher level. So I'm wondering to get at your perspective on how can excited employees really intervene or intertwine into the organizational development to really help create a company and a culture that is not only exciting and fun to be in, but is really a sound organization, right? So it's really reliable and going and kind to of be there for the long term.
3: Yeah. Um, to me, I've always easily recognized those employees who were truly engaged. They're the type of employee that always is coming up to me with out-of-the-box ideas and suggestions, true concerns about potential issues that affect the organization. They have a positive attitude, and they care about trying to make improvements. I've been lucky enough to work with many of them, and they often come up with great ideas, and I get to work with them to make it happen. And I think it's important to look everywhere for great ideas. In my career, I've created social committees made up of employee leaders, health and wellness teams, uh, women's leadership forums, uh, diversity and inclusion programs, just kind of a wide range and where a lot of times you're working with, uh, I mean, you know, of course, you know, everybody has their own ideas, you whether it's myself or different business leaders, but really looking everywhere for those ideas and I think as this is just part of employee engagement and culture giving those employee leaders an opportunity to have a voice. And I've really used a combination of methods to really get them involved. Um, I mean, like I said, I typically uh, recognize uh, those types of employees, and um, sometimes I just um, ask them specifically for their help. Other times I email employees, uh, the employee population, ask for volunteers. Um, I also hold open meetings on various topics, and through our discussions, volunteers arise, and I just, I have an open style, so a lot of employees just approach me with suggestions and ideas, Um, but I think one of the uh, key areas is really gaining that executive and management support so that employees have the freedom to do this, and and then also, of course, we also need to get a budget approved so that we can fund those different programs, so really, at the end of the day, to me, um, having employee involvement is really key to employee engagement.
1: Yeah, and what it sounds like you're identifying is something we've talked about as being a champion, right? So you get these people yeah. who are just, you know, they want to volunteer. They want to they do these things. They want to help and, 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 and do it because they're excited and they're motivated. and And so if you can get those people organized and really get them all working together in the same direction that's how a company really makes huge uh, differences internally uh with your culture with your goals and your progresses. cuz you can sometimes have let's say 10 or 15 of those people but if they're all kind of going in their own direction mm-hmm. they're helping a little bit in little in different ways and, and everyone knows who they are and you know they're that, that go-to person but man you get them working together that that it's such such a powerful uh, tool for for a company to to really use uh, by getting all those excited people together to to work hard together.
3: Most definitely.
1: What would your advice be to a company that is, you know, maybe looking to to take a step back and, and put some of these things in place that we, we've been talking about today so far? Uh, ma- maybe things aren't exactly how they want them to be. They can starting to sense that their company is, you know, not really where they envisioned it would be at this at this stage of their company. So how, how, how do they take that step back to actually start implementing some changes?
3: Well, I, I think, again, it, it starts with really the business leaders, right, the executives. I mean, that's something that they need to feel that is important and key. And so I would start with really making this a part of the strategic planning process um, from the beginning. I mean, thinking about your people, their succession planning, their development and, and that leads to the company's success. And at the end of the day, we need to make time, put it on our calendar. Um, something like succession planning, I, I think it really should happen on a regular quarterly uh, basis. And uh, as a, basically from the executive level uh, committee. And when you look at, you know, something like performance management, um, I mean, that's happening like once a year. Um, some companies do it twice a year, but it's not happening every quarter. And and here, we need to focus on not just performance management, but succession planning and our employees' development.
1: And what are some of the important parts of succession planning that companies should be thinking about?
3: Well, I would say creating and building a program that they're going to be able to really allow employees to grow and develop. So some key pieces, I think, are mentorship programs um, and then also For those high potential employees in particular, we need to grow them and develop them. So one example, and this is something really simple, where... We had a high potential employee who we wanted to help develop his speaking ability skills. Highly, his highly technical, um, but um, his communication skills, as in formal presentations, you know, we needed to work on. So, something really simple we did was we started including him in our executive management meeting and giving him uh, a portion to present at that meeting.
1: Yeah, just giving them those opportunities. Um, giving them the chance to work on it, giving them a the chance to to demonstrate it. Those are some pretty pretty basic, simple ways that seem you know seems like common sense, but not everyone's doing that. Those types of things. Instead, we complain that like this person isn't very good at this thing, and then uh, it can it can become kind of toxic, and then you end up trying to get rid of somebody as opposed to finding a positive way to to help them become better at their job and what they're doing. Right? Yeah. I know you also have some experience in the the global human resources arena. Uh, Are there challenges there that are different when you're working for a global company than maybe one that's just domestic when, when it comes to HR?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, when you wor- you're you working uh, with global human resources, um, some of the three areas, I think about the three different areas to me, um, the culture, uh, legal compliance, and benefits. Uh, for example, in Europe, it's fairly common for employees to take three weeks off or more, um, like such as for a summer extended vacation, but it's pretty rare in the U.S., the legal compliance side, um, some countries have a required notice period from um, both the employee and the employer uh, when resigning or terminating employees. And, you know, in the U.S., we don't have such a requirement. It's a standard practice to give two weeks' notice, but it isn't a requirement on the benefit side, um, benefit packages vary um, based on the types of offerings that are the common practice in the country. And again, thinking back to the various legislation in those countries and various government supported benefits. Um, So yeah, I mean, it definitely there's challenges because they vary in culture, legal compliance and and benefit packages and so much more.
1: Do you ever see some sort of I guess, issues around kind of there being subcultures. Because you just talked about the differences between, let's say, people working in the United States versus Europe. And so these, these people need to come together and work together. But... You could have you know, Americans in the middle of July saying, I'm ready to do my work, but yet the person I need to work with is off on vacation for three weeks in France. So you still have to have understanding and collaboration between these different subcultures, but there can still kind of be those conflicts um, or distrust or you know, any sort of negativity. So how do you deal with some of those challenges?
3: Well, I think is um, ensuring that there's understanding um, regarding the different cultures and cultural customs across the organizations and countries. Um, A lot of companies now are focused on diversity and inclusion. We think about it within our own U.S. sites, but we also have to think about it globally across organizations, um, particularly with multiple sites. That you know, we have to be culturally sensitive to our counterparts in different countries and, and vice versa. So I think maybe having a better understanding of the norms in the different countries and cultures, I think that's really important.
1: So amongst all the other impressive things that you're, you're doing and have done, I noticed that you also have your uh, uh, Juris Doctor degree. How does this sort of educational background help you in, the, in your work in HR?
3: Uh, yeah, so I have a JD and I'm a licensed California attorney. So um, when I think of a business, like when we're creating an HR policy or a process or a program, or we're in the midst of a complex workplace investigation, I think about compliance, particularly how it will affect the organization, not just now, but into the future. So empl- employers, we have the freedom to create our own policies, but as long as it's in compliance with the law. So there are a lot of nuances and ambiguity in the law particularly in California. So I think my experience and background um, really helps to weave through all of this ambiguity. Well,
1: and it sounds like you're a great resource for your clients because actually putting stuff together and having a policy is better than what most companies do, which is, you know, tend to just hide and not do it and hope that nothing bad ever happens, which usually means they end up just paying twice as much later on. They're just delaying the cost, right? (laughs) I'm wondering, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, and hopefully you have a fantastic answer for us. I'm putting you on the spot here, but um, you know, what are you reading right now?
3: So right now, and I actually, um, typically I listen to audio books just because of the amount of time I spend in the car, but I actually love real books. And I'm currently reading Living with Intent by Malika Chopra. One of the key messages i think although i haven't finished reading it but i did skip to the end (laughs) um i think part of the message is that we're all too often you know we let our lives run us you know we're being over scheduled and overstressed and instead um malika promotes really identifying our intent and what we really want and to take those steps to make it a reality
1: well, that's great advice. And it sounds like a great book. It's a reminder, everyone, we do post a recap of all our shows and list all the books that our guests list. So you can can get it there if you didn't have a chance to jot it down. You know, Ashley, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We've learned a lot. And it's been interesting to kind of hear all the different things that you're, you're involved in. You know, if, if someone was uh, listening, but they didn't, they weren't taking, you know, copious notes. Is there a, a takeaway that you think that uh, they ought to remember from our conversation today?
3: Uh, yeah we talked a lot about culture and engagement today and I think everyone management and employees have the ability to influence uh, influence all of those areas and and make the the workplace a great place to work and so really I think it's for all of us to do what we can uh, to help improve the culture that w- we're a part of
1: yeah it's a it's' it, it, Fantastic advice, and really appreciate you being on the show, and we'll uh, look to have you maybe come back uh, next year and give us an update on what you're doing and some of the challenges that you're seeing in 2016. Sounds great. All right, thank you for joining me, and uh, also my uh, first guest, uh, David Darstander, uh And don't forget, next week, uh, if you're listening to this live, uh, t- next week will be Thanksgiving, so we will have a Best of Talent Talk show run. Uh, since I will not be here, uh, I'll be getting ready for turkey, I think. But on December 1st, we'll be back live with uh, Mark Villarreal, SVP of Five Point Enterprises, and Mark Miller, the VP of Marketing for uh, Emergenics International. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.